Hi, welcome to the Happiness Hive podcast. I'm Catherine Bowyer and I am completely fascinated by people and what motivates them. I've spent the past three and a half decades specialising in mindset and human behaviour and I've helped thousands of people to create happy and amazing lives. And now I am super excited to be chatting with women from around the world who I have secret and to be honest, not so secret crushes on. They're women who inspire me. I'm intrigued as to how they do life and what makes them tick. I want to find out their magic formula that makes them who they are. And at the end of the episode, I'd love for you to say, I'd like a little bit of what she's having. The conversations are real and raw. They're full of passion, inspiration and lots of fun. And nothing is off limits. So grab yourself a cuppa or pop on your trackie and go for a walk and join us for today's chat. There may just be that pearl of wisdom you need to hear. So let's shimmy on over and get started. Today's guest is another dynamo and I'm looking forward to finding out all about her and how she does life. Rosemary Gattuso has been in alternate dispute resolution for over 15 years with a specialisation in family mediation and restorative justice practices. Having originally studied mediation at Harvard University, as a family mediator, she's helped many families to separate and re-establish in a respectful and child-focused way. This role placed her in a unique position to observe, learn and reflect through a strengths-based lens, while further discovering her interest in self-study of childhood trauma, emerging discoveries about the brain and the mind. And Rosemary has also written a book called It's Not You, It's About Me, A Chronic Overthinker's Guide to Self-Reflection. I'm so looking forward to finding out about that. Hi, Rosemary. How are you? Yes, good, Catherine. It's lovely to be here. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this chat. There's so much for us to cover. Where are you coming to us from today? Where do you live? From Sydney. I'm from in Sydney. Sydney. Have yeah. you always lived there? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. up in Sydney? Yeah. Different parts, but yeah, generally just in, in Sydney. Yeah. And what was growing up like for you? Well, That's a big question. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm thinking, oh, where do I start? Well, I grew up in southwestern Sydney, sort of large Italian family in the area which were predominantly migrants. So, you know, everyone spoke a different language and had different sort of lifestyles, but we were all the same sort of different yeah. you know, yeah. in that sense. So it was it was always quite colourful, but that was just the norm. Yeah. Did you have a big family? Did you have I've a big family? I've got three brothers. And where do you come in? So the... I'm, and I'm the second, second eldest. So okay. only daughter, second only eldest. Only daughter. I'm the only daughter too. I'm the youngest of two older oh, brothers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So only daughter was, yeah, it was good, but I was kind of dragged up as one of the boys anyway. Um, I think that's what happens. Yeah. And you kind of don't realize until people ask you, what was it like being the, what's it like being the only girl? I'm like, well, it's yeah. just normal. Yeah. <laughs> I, do you know what I loved? I loved it. I was younger, I was four years younger than my next brother and I was just a bit of a nuisance that, and all the kids in the neighbourhood seemed to be boys as well and I think I was just a bit of a nuisance there and I think one day I remember, because they played football, we were a football family mm-hmm. and we went and travelled and grew up in country New South Wales <laughs> and we travelled somewhere and the boys were playing footy and I was just on the sideline and this Guy said, we're a shorter player, mate. Do you want to come and play with us? And I went, 
oh, he thinks I am a boy. So I think that's when I started to go, oh, I might need to be a little bit more feminine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have lots of other family here, cousins or? Yeah, I've I've got quite a few extended cousins here here and there. Yeah. From from mum and dad's side and and some overseas. So Yeah, yeah. You know. Where are you at in life? No. So at the moment, I'm I'm kind of at a crossroads actually, where I'm about to, you know, launch my book and move into what that that what that looks like and what that means, and and there seem to be opportunities coming up that are kind of related to my book, and so I'm now sort of thinking, oh, okay, I'm. I mean, I've been a mediator for so long and it was my goal to be a mediator for so long and a family mediator. And now I'm looking at actually that might not be my main role anymore. <laughs> so it's quite, oh, it's that's quite interesting. interesting. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit because I think that would be really interesting to explore being at a crossroads. And a lot of the women that I work with are at some sort of crossroads as well. So it's not necessarily a career crossroads, but they're at life crossroads about, oh, what do I want next? So let's unpack that. So a family mediator, what what's a family mediator? So, well, I mean, the technical term, but it's, you know, just a a bit overcomplicated is a family dispute resolution practitioner. But I just say family family mediator sort of easier and basically it's a family mediator is someone who separating parents or couples go to to help sort of make arrangements about who does what when who you know just to 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 separate you know how they're going to separate essentially and it's instead of going to court so that's the key the key issue because there were sort of massive build-up in the family courts, and so mediators were set up, and family relationship centres were set up all over Australia as a way for, you know, originally just parents, because it was only to do with children, but now it's, you know, you know, um, even just couples separating, and yeah, to to sort of provide more, I say, a human-friendly way to separate, because uh, you know, a mediator does not judge. Yeah. It's an independent third party. Whereas when you go to court, it's about proving who's right and who's wrong and evidence based. So yeah. it's a completely different outlook and something that for many people, they have, um, they don't experience or don't even know what, what mediation is because it's something that you don't know unless you've had that experience or you know someone who has. So. So is it like, the, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the mediation through a, work context when there's been conflict in the workplace they've brought in mediators to help manage that conflict in the workplace so you specialize in families and relationships I guess it's not just families with children but people in relationships yes to um like that conscious uncoupling Gwyneth and um is that yes that's right through that process and, and doing it so you don't have to get to court to be able to a bit more, like you said, that bit more human centric, family, individual centric approach. And the parties have more control over what, what, uh, over the outcome yes. generally. Yeah. Which so means input that, into it. So they've yeah. got input into it. Yeah. And if you've had input into it, it's more likely to be something that you can work with and something that you will be able to uphold as opposed to, 
you know, a, a, someone who doesn't know your family, doesn't know your dynamics, doesn't know your situation saying, I think you should do this. Yes, and making decisions on your behalf. So this yeah. is, yeah. So how did you get into that? Well, that's interesting because even when I was at school, I always wanted to be a family solicitor or family lawyer. And so I, I pursued that. And then once I really started studying law, I realised that actually it wasn't for me. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't really know what else to do. So I just continued. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I just, do you know, that's a really common, that's a common thing I hear a lot. It's like, I don't know what to do. Don't really love what I'm doing, but I'll keep doing it anyway. Yes. Yeah. But I still, and I thought, well, if I have to do law, then I'll still be a family. I'll, I'll, I'll go in the area of family. Mm-hmm. And so when, once you, in New South Wales, once you finish the studying component, then there's a practical component. And in the practical component, I was introduced to mediation and alternative dispute resolution because that was a compulsory part that most people hated. Most of the other students mm-hmm. hated it. And for me, it was the first time that I was like, oh, this is something I can do. I want to do this. And so from then on, I was like, that's it. What do I have to do to not just become a mediator, but become a family mediator? Do you have to be a lawyer to be a mediator? You don't have to. No, but no, it would be beneficial for you, though, wouldn't it, like that family um, law? Or well, not? in one sense, yes, but at the same time, if I have clients that come to me and ask me for the for the legal side, I don't, I, I don't give it to them. I don't necessarily know it anyway because I've been sort of out of the loop and I okay. would refer them to a solicitor because I yeah. have to, I really want, you know, aim to keep my role limited to really facilitating yes. a conversation that, Focus if they have children, the focus is on what's the best interests of the children yeah. rather than giving an opinion or taking sides or you should do this or yeah so so it's really the process of the the mediation it's a good understanding of law, but it's not really what you're there for you're about the yeah. facilitated discussion and input when you studied at Harvard, was that why you were being a lawyer or is that where you pursued mediation as well? Yeah, that's where I, I studied mediation and, and negotiation there because they've got quite a, a really good program on negotiation there. Yeah. And so that was while I, I mean, I say that I studied law and I knew it wasn't for me, but then I also did a master of law and while I was <laughs> doing that, but all my subjects were dispute resolution, mediation, restorative justice, yes. hardly any, maybe the minimum legal subjects to actually be called a, a master of law. Yeah, cool. And so, what was like? I thought that was relevant at the time that that, you know. Yeah. What was it like studying at Harvard? Were you there in person or was that through? No, I was there in person and it was, at the time where Mark Zuckerberg was starting up Facebook. Ooh la la, was he your buddy? Was he no, your buddy? No, no, not really. <laughs> and I, I kind of lived very close to, you know, where, but I had no, like I didn't know. It's a big place and yeah. I was mainly with international students, you know, because this course got, you know, called for a lot of international students attended this. Yeah. How long know. were you there for? How long? It was one semester. Yeah. Wow. What an experience. What an experience. Yeah. Can I, because I want to talk to you about your book as well and those crossroads that you're at. Can I ask off the top of your head some tips for negotiating? Because one of the things I do find, like I work in the corporate space, I do corporate coaching and I help people when they're navigating conflicts as well. But people have asked me to be a mediator 
that's not my gig. And what are some tips about negotiating that just off the top of your head that would help uh, us in just everyday life? Yeah, I think being prepared is a good one. Like if you know that you have an important meeting, a mediation or negotiation uh, ahead, preparation is key. And And I mean, that's part of my role as a mediator. The first appointment I have is an individual appointment with each client in private. Yeah. And that's about preparing and, and it's, you know, looking at what the goals are, what's the worst case scenario, best case scenario, what's realistic, what would happen if, and then I guess the second point is, so the first point is being prepared. The second prepared. point is get legal advice. Yeah, right. No, no, you're, le- especially if it's, you know, that a, a major sort of a significant negotiation and quite important because it helps to know what would happen if there's no agreement. Yes. And that might actually change what you say yes or no to. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. That's really good. So preparation, legal advice if you need that. Yeah. And um, I think also do whatever you can to support your, I was going to say nervous system, you know, but I guess that's really what I mean in that process because it's really hard to think and think clearly and also in that moment if you're like super anxious and worried uh so and and if you need to take a break take a break if you need to you know clear your morning or afternoon in preparation so that you don't have other things to worry about or or exercise whatever kind of works for you to help you know minimize that anxiety or worry about you know that uncertainty what's and what's going to happen that's really good because I could imagine it would be very stressful for people going through through that process and, you know, wanting the outcome and depending on, you know, what the the experience that they've had, I could imagine that that would be very stressful. And so looking after yourself in the process is really important. It is. And it's, really it's also my part of my role is to try and be aware yeah. of what's happening yeah. with the parties so that if they need a break, I'll call it. So and even it, you know, so that they don't necessarily have to say, "I need a yeah. break." That you're on top that, of that. That's you're also part of that's yeah. also part of my role. Um, yeah. Sometimes I, I can miss it. So yeah. and that that's fine. That's where the process has that flexibility to say, if you want to talk in private, just let me know. Yeah. Oh, cool. So being at the crossroads that you've you've been doing that for quite a quite some time now haven't yep. you yeah and you've written a book a book called it's not you it's me and it's a chronic overthinker's guide to self-reflection how did that book come about like is that based on the work that you've done or is that based on you is it are they tied together or well, are it's probably all of the above yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it really started as a result of my observations of how people manage adversity. So, you know, looking at my work and the the trends that I noticed. And then also, I guess, when you see how other people manage adversity and crisis, it it kind of helps you look at, oh, what am I doing? And thinking, oh, I'm doing that or I'm not. And I I guess I was, for me, the way that I worked, it helped me to kind of I say label, but maybe label's not the best word, name what I was seeing. Yes. And that's really how it started. And, and I also come from a strengths-based approach. So that really helped me. And, and using the strengths-based uh, approach, one sort of idea is that 
you can either focus on what's wrong in a situation or what's strong in a situation. So that is really how I started to name what I was seeing in mediation room under those sort of two categories. It didn't initially start like that, but, you know, I was saying, oh, you know, one client might be sort of saying that they're not respected. They don't feel respected and therefore there'd be a discussion on respect, what it looks like, and and potentially that would go in the agreement. And so that made me think, okay, if one party is being critical of the other party, respect is missing. So they're your your two options, criticism or or respect. So I kind of labelled things in opposites, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. so if I was seeing judgment, then there was an understanding or there was a call for more understanding. So that sort of and – and then I realised, well, actually, does these – these sort of trends fall under the, the heading of what's wrong or what's strong, you know, falling back on the strengths-based approach. So I started to use this idea of, of what's happening versus what's not happening to, to help me in my preparation for mediation, to help me even in the session to sort of in my head guide, you know, what could go next and even my, my own role because at one stage I, I kind of – I remember being in a mediation – and there was a request and I really felt I didn't feel easy at ease with the request. So I was really resisting. And I and then I thought, well, it's got nothing to do with me. If that's how that family works, then and all I saw in my head was I'm being judgmental. Yeah. How can I show more understanding to this family? And as soon as I realized that, uh, I kind of thought, Okay, and and the session flowed much better because it, it was me that was stopping it because I was resisting what they were, were wanting to do because I thought that's not how it's done, but that's how this family works, so it's fine. Yeah, I love that so much around, you know, what's wrong, what's strong. For me, in my mind, it's around empowering and disempowering you know, the, the the positive, the not so positive side of things. And I really like, Rosemary, that you've been able to label, and I noticed that you hesitated with that word label or name. I, I actually think that's really helpful because that helps us with to get it clear in our mind. Then it's about what we do with that information. And it's helping people with some practical resources as well for them to sort of think about, well, this is, is this helping the situation or is this hindering the situation? And if it's, is it me? And that's the name of your book. It's not you. It's me. Hmm. Quite often it brings stuff up in us, doesn't it? Like you were saying about that judgment that it's what's coming up in us and what do we need to change within us? that can actually have a flow-on effect to that situation. So yeah. that, is that the whole premise of that's your book? A, yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. That, that's I love it. I yeah. love it. And and you were saying that you're at a crossroads, so you're about to launch the book. Have you launched? So it's all written. Is it all written? It's, it's written and it will be launched in early 2024. Okay, sure, sure. Which and is just around the corner. I know that is <laughs> just around the corner. That is just around the corner. It's really interesting when I chat with guests on the podcasts there's a number that have written books as well. And the process that they've gone through has brought up some stuff within themselves. Yeah. What was that process like for you in writing the book? Yeah. Well, for me, it was interesting because, you know, I, I wrote about being able to sort of categorize thoughts, feelings and actions under what's wrong and what's strong. Yeah, sure. But I really didn't 
didn't view my own work under the What's Strong lens until a publisher came forward and said, I want to take you on. Ooh la la. And then I thought, oh, okay. Actually, maybe, maybe she, <laughs> maybe there is some, you know, a value and benefit in my book. Maybe it is, you know, better than the, well, then I guess my opinion, my initial opinion of it or, or thoughts about my own mm-hmm. work. So it was interesting that until someone else sort of recognized it, I wasn't there yet. And then once she recognized it, and I thought, hold on, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I know that, you know, people that are in publishing will sort of think, oh. But, it, yeah, it, I guess it was quite interesting. I mean, I think in, in the end uh, what happened was on the day that I was getting legal advice to try and get out of the, the contract because I didn't – it just wasn't working and it wasn't yeah, sure. going anywhere. We weren't on the same page. On that day – she actually terminated the contract and I didn't have to do anything. So it was, it was perfect. And it also, it also for me emphasized the what's strong in my work, even though really you think it shouldn't, but it really got me even more motivated to get my book out and to do it my way as well, because I kind of had this underlying sense that she didn't understand what I was, you know, trying to put forward. Therefore, it was always going to be a different, different approach. But one, one really good thing that happened as during that, you know, sort of six months, 10, no, nine or 12 months or so that I did have a publishing contract. The publisher said that she had quite an anxious teenage daughter who benefited from the ideas that and the concepts that I proposed, the tool that I proposed. And she said, you know, would you consider running workshops in high schools? And I thought, that's a great idea. So, so I guess that's that's where I'm at now. <laughs> wow, isn't there? So it's you're writing about the concept of what's strong, yeah, but not necessarily seeing it in yourself. You you would have seen some element to be able to write the book, I'm assuming. Yes, but maybe not that full blown yes. self belief until she had said that the the publisher had contacted you. So that was almost giving you maybe some validation or for you to to go, yeah, actually what I've got here is good. And then realizing, well, what I've got is good. I don't need you to help me. And that misalignment between what her expectation of you is as well. I've heard that a lot with authors and publishers that you have to have that really be in synergy and alignment Yeah. yeah, with each other and then being able to do it your way, which I am all about is helping people to live life their way, not doing it because of all the shoulds and expectations and stuff, but what is it that they want to do? So it sounds like you've cracked that as well and that you're now in that place of birthing that into the world, that it's going yeah. to be, you know, your, your official launch early, like a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, really good. I mean, there's a lot a lot to, yeah, yeah. to do. So you're self-publishing now? Because I'm self-publishing. I'm self-publishing. So I've had to learn what to do. And some of that process has been learning by making mistakes or learning by then, (laughs) you know, connecting with people. So I've got quite a few, you know, really uh, talented and knowledgeable people who, you know, I can call on and, and, and who are helping me through this process. So it's been really, it's been really good. 
is it worth i'm assuming it is worth it for you to do that because it is a lot of a lot of work isn't it yeah and i think it's worth it for you what it also did for me is because i don't come from the publishing industry i'm i I like i I wasn't a writer it's just this happened so i didn't really know anything about it but what happened for me is as an outsider looking in i thought gee the publishing industry is a little bit old-fashioned and doesn't value this is what i think i don't believe this is your experience yeah yeah it doesn't value the intellectual property of an individual or, or the creativity of an individual in the same way that we would value an asset. And and what happened was I was talking to my accountant about, you know, self-publishing and, and and what he did is he said, just think of your work as the asset. And I yeah, thought, okay. oh, okay. If so and if you look at sort of more traditional assets, you have property or yeah. a car or, you know, if you have to take your car for service you're going to take it to someone who you think is reputable who do a good job who you feel confident in and you trust and I thought I thought I just felt that that approach was missing in the creative space because Mm -hmm. there seems to be less value on the 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 works the creative works or the intellectual property in comparison to physical property because if and I think well I mean what I noticed is that, say, writers who do have a publisher, they might get 10 to 12% royalties for each book, which might be $1 or $2 for each book. And I just thought, so essentially the publisher is getting the rest. So if you're getting 10%, the publisher is getting 90%. Who would, who would go into that arrangement voluntarily? I don't know. I don't know. If maybe I'm missing things. I know that there's a lot of outlay yeah. in, in, you know, writing and self-publishing, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. and 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 that when you have a publisher, they're investing in you. They're yeah. they're they're doing it, and so they've got their 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 contacts, and you know, yeah. is it? And do you know what? I don't know enough about that. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. So uh, it's not. I, yeah, I don't think it's 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 not that I think publishing is, is bad, and I wouldn't yeah. maybe you know if a publisher approached me and said, "Hey, this is what we're you know," yeah. maybe I would go, but. It just got me thinking yeah, about the yeah. publishing industry and how, you know, anything creative, it's, we should, well, not should, but I, I just felt that I wasn't seeing it as tangible property because yeah. it is intangible, yeah. you know, until yeah. the, the book. So just different. I think that's a really things. interesting experience that you have around that and especially around what you're writing about. The content of what you're writing about is the, you know, what's strong. And even just reflecting on that as to what maybe isn't strong in the, yeah. in the process that you went through. So that's really interesting. And I've had a similar experience before. Like I've invested a lot, a lot, a lot of money in my professional development over the years. And, and I would say the majority of that has really helped me, but there's been a few where I've spent a lot of money that I haven't, I don't believe I've got the return on investment and my kind of download of that is I almost needed to spend the money to realize that I didn't need to spend the money <laughs> that's yeah. it's kind of a bit of a weird <laughs> yeah. a weird yeah. but it was that it, it it was my like my version of what you had when the publisher said I want to publish your work and then you went oh actually I just needed to hear that and that gave you the little injection about you know you don't need them yeah I think with a couple of the 
things I can coaches I can think of. It's like, yeah, probably the advice and stuff wasn't what I needed, but I needed to spend the money to realize that I didn't need, you know, kind of a yeah. way of bloody thinking yeah. about things. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, on. no, I get, I get what you're saying there as well. So what are the cross, so the crossroads are that you've spent your, you know, a lot of years being a mediator and through this calling, being called to, to write this book that it could be taking you in a different direction like that mediation yeah. might not be the major focus of what you're doing yes um, and even though get... my book's based on my work as a mediator yeah. it's sort of opening you know what's happening know. for you now what are the types of things that you're thinking about in relation to that I'm just really curious of the process that you're going through that crossroad process well I guess part of it is also under the what's wrong and what's strong and I think well I've written a book based on my mediation work and you know, I'm doing, you know, presentations and workshops based on it, but I'm not doing much mediation work. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh. How do you feel about that? How does that, what does that feel like for you? Well, part of it is about, well, if I'm talking about what I learned as a mediator, but I'm not doing much work as a mediator, how can I, you know, on, on what basis am I, you know, saying, yeah. even though I've been doing it for years. You've done it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that that's part of it. But then the other part of it is, well, you know, it, it, it's in the past. It's, it's yeah. you know, I, there's new opportunities and, and yeah. new avenues, you know. So isn't that interesting, that self-talk that we have about, so I'm following this path, and it sounds to me like you've been called to write the book, that, that it was a, a response that you were, you said you're not a writer you it kind of just came together based on your reflections on things so yeah this calling to do it and then you're doing presentations around it and even though it's tapping back into your mediation you're not currently mediating there's some sort of a story going on for you that I still need to be in that space of mediation is yeah correct yeah and that that's I guess where I'm what I'm juggling at the moment how much to continue or how much to accept that things are changing. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> you yeah. know. What's your process to, to work through that? How do you, do you just sit with it and just trust what's coming up for you or do you do a, a deliberate process to work that out? Well, it's interesting because I kind of didn't really know what to do and I just thought, oh, let's just see yeah. what happens because yeah. I don't know if I'll get yeah. an, enough sort of work. Yeah in either, you know, one. Mm. And, um, and then I was, was asked to do some remote mediations and I thought, well, this is perfect because it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite, it, it works within my life on what I want to do. So I can still work on the book and, and what needs to be done in that space, but have an occasional, you know, family mediation. And it's sort of under my terms as well. If I'm available, I, I can. It's from home. It's via Zoom. So. And it's perfect. Like what you yeah. said there, it's perfect for you. And I can think back to a similar point in my life. So I, I work with individuals. I do coaching with individuals and I run programs for individuals. I also do it in the corporate space as well for organizations and individuals within the organization. And I had a long term contract 
that, and it was a really, it was probably 50% of the work that I'd been doing over a number of years. And I knew it was coming to a close. They'd extended it year by year. And they said, this is, you know, it's coming to a close at the beginning of this year. That was going to be a definite. So I knew that consciously. I was building up my private clientele. But when it came to that point where the contract ended, I just went, oh, bugger. Like I haven't built up that same income that it was replacing. And I got really, that was a crossroads for me going, like, what am I actually going to do here? And I just sat with it. And there was part of me that went, it will be okay. Like, I will be okay. And then the conscious part in my mind would go, no, I won't, no, I won't. And that probably lasted for about a week of high-level anxiety around, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And then I just went, you know what, it will be, I will be okay. And I think the next day I got a phone call from a client I'd worked with a number of years ago, and he said, Catherine, we've got this contract we'd like you to – come and do with our leaders in our organization for the next, for this year. And I'm just going, thank well, you. And yeah. it was just that, you know, the same sort of thing, that crossroads. And for me, the process I went through was to go, oh, I'm actually nervous about this. And I allowed myself to feel nervous. I didn't go, oh, don't be stupid. It's going to be okay. Get out of your head, blah, blah. I didn't dismiss what I was feeling. I, I felt it. I didn't like feeling it, but I felt it. And then I got to a point going, do you know what? I will be okay. I've always been okay. And even though I don't know the, the exactness of what okay is going to be, I will be okay. And when I, I guess, surrendered into that within a day or two, the universe said, okay, we're, yeah. we're ready now. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? When it you're is. going through it. And I think just reflecting on your situation, then there was a lot of focus on what's wrong. Yes. Yep. And then after a certain period of reflection, then it went to the strengths. Yeah. And I guess that's, you know, when I say, you know, I, I am highlighting, you know, what's wrong and what's strong and that what, what's strong is sort of um, the, the place to be, but it's not actually the, it's not necessarily the place to be. It's the place to, to get to at some point yeah. uh, upon reflection, because sometimes we do need to sit in that what's yeah. wrong stage and it's more about then thinking, oh, okay, I've sat here and now I'm going to move forward or even just reflecting on past situations. I did that that way. Okay. In the future, I will work on that. So it's not, I'm not saying you have to be in what's strong the whole time because that's no. impossible. Uh, you know, I agree with that too. And I, it, it's often when I talk about, you know, that empowered mindset and the, you know, I, I focus on happiness and, and living a, a life that you love. That doesn't mean that I'm happy every minute of the day. And that doesn't mean that I don't go through adversity. Like I've had some really icky stuff happen, but it's how I respond to it. And mm. I think what, what your, what's wrong, what's strong is part of that response strategy. And it's about going, is this helping or is this hindering? And if it's hindering, in what way is it hindering? And what can I, what do I want instead? And how can I focus on that? So it's a process, isn't it? It's yeah. not just a, yeah. it's not, it's not a, as much as people want this, you know, magic wand that's going to fix things immediately. It's a tool and it sounds like it's a fantastic tool for people to be able to, to access. Where can they, where can 
can people get the book now or do we have to wait till you're launching yeah, it? Yeah, not, not yet, but if <laughs> uh, you go to my website yeah. or social media, then there'll, there'll be updates and, and things there. So you can join us. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And we'll, we'll have all your details in the show notes yeah. about your website and social media as well. Have you got a big launch planned? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually look, working on a book tour. Yeah. So I'll be, you know, going to libraries and, and bookstores, definitely on the East Coast, maybe even yeah. further. So that sounds great. I've got a couple of, of the podcast hosts. Letitia has just done or in the process of her book launch. Emma Bowd from last year has written a number of children's books and has done lots of book tours as well so that's going to be an exciting exciting part for you and if you um, keep us posted that for those who are listening follow along like follow along happiness hive but also follow along rosemary and to find out about the book and how we can access it uh, there's a couple of other things that i want to ask you what fills your cup what fills your cup outside of work and writing yeah I guess it's um anything that helps maintain the balance and so my my what maintains my balance is or, or readjusts the balance when it when I am out of balance is you know getting getting outdoors yeah. I, you know I really like being outdoors and also connecting with friends and making sure because sometimes I find we just get so busy that yeah. we don't make time to be social and just do things where you don't have to think so anything that I don't have to think about and also anything that helps me feel feel good about myself and I know that sounds a bit but yeah because I find it when I have things that make me see what's strong in myself and my own strengths that help that builds my resilience and ability to to manage when things don't go don't go well or when there's a, a lot happening you know and that could be as simple as you know doing writing reflections gratitude even I love making to-do lists you know like little things like that yeah. that just make me oh okay I've, I've I've done what I had to do or I've done most and I'll do the rest tomorrow or, or whatever the case may be. Just the little, little things, even cooking, you know, just. Are you a, an Italian, good Italian cook? I have, um, yes, yes, but <laughs> I, I sort of haven't prioritized it for a while. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Very envious basic. of people. I'm envious of people. Just any cooking ability. I have none. I have zero. No, I don't have zero. I don't have a lot. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Kind of I, I, what you were saying there to Rosemary about looking at what's strong within us. I think it's very easy for us not to. So even what the, the comment that I made about cook, like I really am very admire people who can cook because I, I think I was busy talking in line when they handed out the, um, the any sort of domestic kind of skills <laughs> when they were handing those out. <laughs> But isn't it interesting for me to go, I've got zero? That, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. And it's sometimes those throwaway lines that we say about ourselves and it's just like, oh, actually, let's change the narrative around that, Yeah, I think. Because so we, we, our, our overthinking and our self-talk yeah. perpetuates those narratives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can take a while to unlearn those. Yes. Because yes. we have to just practice a new narrative. 
Yeah. And even just then, like bringing that to my attention is to go, you know, maybe I don't need to say that anymore that I don't have any cooking skills. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And um, maybe it doesn't like, it doesn't matter. No. Like, there'll be people who can cook. There'll be people that can't. There'll be people who can cook really, really well. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Even when we were off air, we were sort of having a little bit of a chat about some of the things that we overthink about and some of them probably a bit, like we didn't see it in each other, but we were mentioning things. And so we focus on things through our own eyes that others probably don't even notice. Yeah. Or wouldn't even put much emphasis emphasis on anyway. Yes. And it's interesting why we do that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Rosemary, that's been, I told you the time would go quick. Yeah, I told has. you the time would go super quick. So thank you very much. We'll have all your details in the show notes so people can connect with you. And we eagerly await when your book is ready to launch and to support you in that journey as well in however we can, just to be able to let people know that the book's ready to get in their hot little hands. Awesome. Thank thank you you very much for that. And also thank you to everybody for listening. As always, come and join us in the Happiness Hive community and be the first to find out what's happening. Sending out a good old-fashioned newsletter with lots of juicy love and inspiration. So hugs and happiness to everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can spread the love by sharing it with a friend so she can have a little bit of what we had today. And don't forget to rate and review so we can get it into as many hearts and ears as possible. You can keep the conversation going on my Happiness Hive socials. And if you'd like some more high vibe happiness in your life, come and join me in our community of inspired and motivated women at the Happiness Lounge. This is my online membership club and your central hub for everything you will need to be truly happy and bounce out of bed every day living and loving your best and most beautiful life. To find out more, pop over to the Happiness Hive website and click on the link working with Catherine. Until next time, big hugs and happiness.